Welcome to this CMS Pensions Lawcast. Today we're talking about Collective Defined Contribution Schemes, or shortened to CDC schemes. I'm Keith Webster, I'm a partner in the pensions team at CMS. I'm joined by my colleague Tipo Jenkins, and I'm delighted to say we're joined today by Chintan Gandhi from Aon. Chintan is head of Collective DC at Aon, and Aon have been very much at the forefront of the development of this new type of pension scheme in the UK. And so we couldn't have anyone better to be with us today for this session. As I say, Collective DC is new to the UK. And so we're going to start with an explanation of how Collective DC works. We'll then move on to look at some of the issues you might think about when considering a Collective DC scheme. We'll then talk about the authorization regime the pensions regulator is going to run before concluding with just a look at what the future might be for these types of schemes. So to start with, I'll pass on to Chinton to give us an explanation of how these schemes work. Thanks very much, Keith, and thanks also for uh, inviting me to be part of today's lawcast. So firstly, then, what is a collective defined contribution or CDC scheme? Firstly, as the name suggests, it's a type of defined contribution or, in legislative speak, money purchase scheme. And this is important because it means that contributions from both employees and employers are fixed. The collective bit tells us that money is pooled together to help deliver benefits for members. And by investing collectively and pooling risk across members of all ages, we can seek greater investment returns through investing in different types of assets over a longer time horizon than we'd otherwise be able to do on our own. And we can also smooth outcomes over time. Now, as many of you are aware, uh, the Royal Mail will be the first employer in the UK to establish a CDC scheme for their workforce. And so using their design as an example, albeit I recognise different designs will emerge over time, members' benefits take the form of a target pension. And, and that word target is really important in CDC because it means that benefits are not guaranteed. And so while a CD schema outset will aim to increase benefits in year, each year, so say in line with inflation, what actually happens to members' benefits will ultimately depend on things like how the markets perform and how long members live. And so in light of actual experience, each year, all members' target pensions will be adjusted to ensure that the scheme's assets and liabilities are equal. So what does that mean in practice? Well, that means that CDC schemes will have annual valuations and reflecting the fact that assets can fluctuate over time, the target increases that can be afforded need to also change in order to balance the books. And so that means if the value of the assets is higher than expected, then greater than expected levels of increases can be awarded. But the converse is also true. And actually, if assets are lower than expected, it's worth also saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that benefits will be cut straight away. Indeed, I would expect that to initially feed through as a lower than previously expected increase in the coming year. Albeit, of course, I recognise that periods of sustained poor market performance may well result in benefits being cut. Because CDC schemes pool risk between members, they can smooth outcomes over time. I mentioned that earlier. Um, and what that means is that it helps to reduce volatility for members. So our briefing paper from October 2020, uh, which was called Collective DC and Adverse Markets, showed that a well-designed CDC scheme targeting inflationary increases 
wouldn't have needed to cut benefits in the wake of 2020's adverse markets. And we also back-tested that scheme, that hypothetical scheme, for about 90 years or so. And we found that actually only one benefit cut would have been needed. And that was during the Great Depression of the 1930s. So what all of that shows then is that CDC is, is a design that is able to weather volatility in the markets. So what, what does all of that mean then for employees and employers and, and pension savers? Well, for me, the key value of CDC is that it helps pension savers achieve a target income for life and retirement without having to make complex financial and investment decisions along the way. And we all know that at the moment, the only way to achieve an income for life from DC savings is through annuity purchase. But our research back in 2013 and 15 showed that CDC can deliver on average 30% higher pension outcomes when compared with outcomes secured through an insurance purchase or an annuity purchase. And that number is likely to be higher now given the way that annuity pricing has moved over the period. And finally, from an employer's perspective then, aside from being able to provide employees with an income for life in retirement, the value of CDC is that that can be provided with a DC-like cost and risk profile. So that means no balance sheet risk and no reliance on the covenant of past accumulations. I'll now hand over to Thibaut to, to look at some of the uh, potential issues from employer, member and trustee perspectives. So there are a variety of issues that will be of concern to potential participants in future D CDC schemes. These are resolvable, but illustrate what the industry and participants in those schemes will need to think about. I'll speak about some of the general concerns that may exercise potential employers, members and trustees and then move on to a slightly closer examination of a few more specific issues. So first up, from the employer's perspective, one of the chief risks of, of defined benefit schemes is the undefined liability stretching over a long period of time. CDC schemes deal with this risk by giving employers a fixed liability to make contributions with no obligations towards maintaining a level of future benefits. This is a key benefit for employers, but concerns have been expressed about the risk of legal change in the future. In the distant past, DB schemes had limited legislative protections for members and various ways in which employers could end their liability to a scheme. Gradually, legislation was brought in to protect members' benefits, which in turn increased risks for employers. The concern here is that despite assurances, future governments might pass legislation exposing CDC sponsoring employers to greater liability. For example, following a high profile failure to pay full expected benefits. Obviously, none of us can say how things will develop in the future, but given that one of the key selling points for CDC is the fixed liability for employers and that they are classified as a form of money purchase scheme, there are good reasons to think this issue will not arise. Employers will also be concerned about the authorization requirements, and um, Keith is going to talk about these in more detail, so I won't go into them. The final point of concern for employers is likely to be the risk of employee dissatisfaction, which also ties into the kind of concerns that members will have. While CDC schemes can be expected to provide greater certainty to members, there'll be a risk of a lack of understanding about their risks and that outcomes from them are not guaranteed in the way that they would be in a DB scheme. And this also ties into the sort of transparency of the operation of these schemes. 
DC and DB schemes have a certain simplicity as concepts that can allow people to easily understand them. You have a pot of money and at retirement you get that pot. Or alternatively, you know you'll get a pension of X pounds a year at retirement and the pot itself doesn't really matter. The mechanisms of CDC schemes are just maybe less intuitively easy to grasp for the layperson. Um, this, but this nature means that benefits can be adjusted over time and volatility is moved out. So hopefully there'll be less reason in practice for employees to be dissatisfied. As Chinton mentioned, there's been research from Aon showing the um, positive impact of this smoothing mechanism on members' benefits and volatility. But what will be key is ensuring that members understand this benefit, not only the positives of it, but also the risks behind it, that um, the benefits from CDCs are not guaranteed, but rather a target. And so good communication and transparency of operation of the schemes are going to be vital to ensure that members do properly understand the benefits they're building up and both the advantages and risks. Another area of concern possibly for members is that of cross-subsidy. They may worry that their contributions are in effect paying for someone else's benefits rather than securing their own future. Um, once again, I think this ties into the need for good communication so that members understand the way that these schemes work and this in practice isn't such a risk for them. From the trustees perspective, there are also some concerns. Communications will once again be a key consideration. Once members have joined the scheme, it's likely that trustees will be the um, main source of information for them. Trustees will also want to make sure that they have proper advice, proper advisors in place and the expertise there to help them set investment strategy, decision making, deciding what benefits should be being paid, deciding whether benefits should be cut if something goes wrong and the kind of options will be on offer for members. All of these are the kind of problems that trustees would face in any pension scheme, but the new structure of CDCs means that they will have to adapt to a slightly different form for these challenges. So moving on, I'll talk about a few more specific concerns that have popped up in the context of CDC schemes. Firstly, there's a concern that closure to new joiners could cause problems. Some, some people have suggested that CDC schemes will rely on a constant flow of new younger entrants to allow the scheme to continue to smooth out risk and volatility. Without those new members, the scheme's liability profile would trend towards only containing pensioners and it wouldn't be able to benefit from the diversity of investments and new funding coming in with new younger members. However, we don't, I don't think this is a fundamental problem for CDC schemes. In the shorter run, the issue can be dealt with through gradual adjustment of investments, a shift towards low risk assets as the average age of the scheme increases, and um, this wouldn't need to be an immediate shift resulting in lower returns, but just a gradual process that's maybe a bit faster than if the scheme was open to new joiners. But the key point is it would still allow for risk pooling across the scheme membership. In the longer run, it could become more of an issue. So what then? There are, of course, solutions. One is that the scheme might merge with another CDC scheme, which would allow continued risk pooling or where that wasn't possible. Um, mechanisms in place to convert members' benefits into individual DC pots, maybe transfers to individual DC schemes or purchasing of DC annuities.
This ties into the second concern I want to talk about, which is how CDC schemes deal with termination and wind up. As I've already mentioned, the main benefit of a CDC scheme for its members is the sort of smoothing and pooling mechanism leading to reduced volatility and improved returns. And obviously, when you wind up a CDC scheme, that smoothing mechanism would come to an end. And there are also questions about what benefits members would get on termination of the scheme. So as with the end plan for closure to new joiners, one option is simply to merge the terminating CDC scheme into another active scheme. And to the extent that wasn't possible, then you have again the conversion into individual DC pots. Um, it's worth noting that as part of their regulatory regime, CDC schemes will be obliged to have in place an adequate continuity strategy. So essentially a plan for dealing with events that might threaten the scheme, which includes how the scheme would wind up. So in practice, I'd expect every future CDC scheme to have mechanisms in place to deal with these kinds of questions that arise on wind up. And then um, finally, a few words on transfers. So as with existing pension scheme structures, it will be important for members to be able to transfer their benefits to other pension schemes to give them more flexibility about their benefits and how they take them. How those transfer values will be calculated will also be important as it will need to be fair to both the members taking their benefits out of the CDC scheme, but also to the remaining members of the scheme due to the pooling of the assets. So the Pension Schemes Act already provides some basic provisions around transfers and these will be fleshed out by future regulations. So I fully expect that any member who wishes to transfer out in the future should be able to do so in a similar manner to the legislation already existing for DC and DB schemes. So having gone over some of the key issues and concerns with CDC schemes and hopefully pointed to their solutions, I'll now hand over to Keith to talk about the authorisation regime. Thanks, Tivo. So the authorisation regime that Tivo mentioned is an obligation on anyone who wants to run a, a collective DC scheme. Before you can accept contributions from members and before you can accept contributions from employers other than setup costs, you need to get authorization from the pensions regulator and it's an offence not to, to have that in place. The legislation we got at the moment looks very similar to the authorization regime for DC master trusts. We don't yet have all the detail, but whilst there will be quite a lot of similarities, there are clearly key regulatory differences from the pensions regulators perspective of collective DC and they feed into some of the issues that Thibault has just been, been talking about. So there, there, there will be some differences. But looking down from what we know, to get authorization, firstly, the key people involved will need to show that they are fit and proper for fulfilling their role, be that as a trustee director or a key person at, at the employer. And that's likely to mean providing details about any bankruptcies or criminal offences, about any business related issues and demonstrating that they have knowledge and understanding that's adequate for the role they're going to fulfil. You need to demonstrate you've got a sound scheme design and this is going to require producing a, a report, a viability report that is going to explain how your scheme works and essentially why it works. And that needs to be signed off by the scheme actuary who will be able to confirm that, that he or she agrees with the scheme's viability. 
you need to demonstrate you've got adequate financial resources, so you are sustainable. Um, this in the DC Master Trust context was a key area that, from a regulator's perspective, they want to make sure that members' funds are not going to be cut because the scheme has to wind up, for example. And the same concerns apply for collective DCs. So there will need to be some level of financial support to keep the scheme going, both on an ongoing basis, but also if it has to to wind up and we, we wait to see exactly what that might require from, from employers. One requirement for authorization that doesn't apply in the master trust space, but does apply in collective DC is that you've got to demonstrate you've got adequate communications in place. Now that's really important because we've talked about how it's necessary for members to understand how their scheme works. And so it, it's good to see that as on the list of things that are required for authorization and it remains to be seen how the regulator assesses um, the level of your communications. You need to have adequate systems and processes in place generally covering your IT systems and the like, your governance and that's likely to be quite similar I think to the master trust regime. And then you need as Tiba mentioned a continuity strategy that's in place from day one to say how you would like deal with some of the the bumps in the road that could come up in, in the future. So based on what we, we've seen from DC Master Trust and also from the, the informal um, approval process for DB consolidators, the, the authorization process is not going to be easy. It'll be a lot of work to get authorization, but actually it's good for Collective DC to have that process in place. It means members can be re reassured that their scheme is going to be well run in an appropriate way. Once a scheme is authorised, unsurprisingly, there's a bit of ongoing supervision. Um, there's um, a, a supervisory return schemes are going to have to uh, issue probably once a year. And there are certain events that you're going to have to notify to the regulator. We don't have the list of those yet, but any sort of key changes to the information you've already given are likely to be things that you'll have to tell the regulator. And then this continuity strategy feeds into the fact there's a regime of what's called triggering events. So if, for example, you, you lose authorization or your employer goes into insolvency or the scheme wind up triggers, um, the trustees have to follow a certain process to deal with the scheme. Depending on what the trigger is, they might have options to either wind it up or try and resolve the trigger or maybe close the scheme to new money. But once they've decided their method, they then need to come up with an implementation plan that is approved by the pensions regulator. And I say that the main aim of that is to make sure that the scheme wind up is efficient and members' benefits are protected and they don't start being cut due to, due to charges and the like. So I think the authorization regime will set collective DC schemes up on a good footing for the future, which I think allows us to to, to, to move on to, to look at what the future might be for these schemes. And at that point, I'll, I'll pass back to Jindan. Thanks, Keith. And actually, before I look at the road ahead for CDC, I'd, I'd just also add that in addition to the TPR authorization and supervision regime you've, you've just set out, another thing that should help give confidence in the CDC system is that CDC schemes will have a pretty high bar in terms of transparency and disclosure requirements. So, for example, I expect that all relevant financial information, including how annual benefit adjustments are reached, will need to be made public and so subject to external scrutiny. 
So turning back to then the road ahead, on the 11th of February, the Pension Schemes Act hits the statute book, uh, introducing a legislative framework for CDC schemes and trusts to operate where they're set up by single or closely associated employers. And we expect to see the consultation on the regulations governing those schemes in the first half of this year. Uh, and my, my hope is that we'll see the regulations and TPR guidance in place by the back end of this year. So what that means is for employers who have sufficiently large workforces, so say 5,000 plus employees, and a desire to provide their employees with a target income for life in retirement for the same cost and risk profile as a DC scheme, CDC is now an option available for them to consider. But beyond that, and more, more generally, secondary legislation is needed to widen CDC out to allow industry-wide and multi-employer CDC schemes to operate, and also commercial master trusts to provide collective pensions, including as part of their decumulation solutions. So given the number of things that government and the Department for Worker Pensions have on their to-do list, this next step will, will likely be demand-led. Uh, so I'd say if your viewers and listeners are interested in CDC, but don't say have the workforce size or the appetite to go it alone, I'd encourage them to express their interest to the DWP uh, in, in a CDC option being widely available to all. And I'm very happy uh, if you want to get in touch, I can share those uh, DWP contact details and or just kind of discuss how CDC might work for them. We do know, though, there are some employers who are already looking into this. And if enough employers come forward and express interest, then who knows? We, we might even see a regulatory framework in place for wider CDC application in 2020. And it's worth also saying that as and when CDC or collective pension solutions become part of master trust accumulation, this should really open the floodgates and be a game changer and provide millions of pension savers with an option to use some of their income or some of their DC savings rather to, to more efficiently buy a target income for life in retirement through a collectively invested fund. So I think that's all we're going to cover today. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Uh, particular thanks to Chinton for, for, for sharing his, his experience here. If you've got any questions on collective DC um, or what we've talked about today or you're interested in setting one up, please do speak to Chinton or, or speak to Tiba and me. Um, our next Pensions Lawcast is on the 16th of March is when it will come out. Um, it's the second of our series looking at ESG issues. Um, and if you've missed any of the first 20 or you want to watch some of them again, um, they're all available on our website. So thank you very much for joining us today and I hope you enjoyed an insight into collective DC schemes. Goodbye.